In confusion and uncertainty, there emerges a guiding light, a beacon that cuts through the darkness. Welcome to Beacon of Truth with your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello and welcome back to Beacon of Truth. I'm your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. So great to be with you today. And of course, today is Wednesday. And that means one thing on Beacon of Truth, Word of God Wednesday. So grab your Bibles. We are going to break open God's Word, looking at uh, one of the verses that are sometimes a little controversial, but it really isn't. Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 33, we're going to look at today. So grab your Bibles, Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. So if you want to be part of the program today, love to hear from you. Give us a call. We are at 888, sorry, 833-288-3986, 833-288-3986, or email beacon at EWTN.com, you know, and uh, so where in the world am I? Well, I am home. My plane landed uh, an hour ago, (laughs) and I I live uh, super, my bags came out really quick. I live super close to the airport. Uh, So it was very easy for me uh, to get home and get set up and make it in time for the show today. So I'm really thrilled to be here with you uh, in person. And I had a wonderful time uh, um, in in Mason, Ohio, uh, St. Susanna's Parish there. And a wonderful night last night to finish off the mission. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I I spoke to a group of middle schoolers yesterday. Uh, seventh and eighth grade and uh the seventh grade were engaged in the eighth grade i mean they were looking at me they were attentive but they weren't saying anything like when i asked questions and tried to engage and they're like sitting like okay whatever <laughs> so so i said okay that's cool but then um yesterday i got an email probably in 21 years ordained and all the years i've been speaking is one of the most beautiful emails i've ever received from an eighth grader that was at the talk yesterday. It was long. And she just opened her heart to what she heard and what the Lord was doing in her life and the life of her family. She convinced her father to come to them, who's not Catholic, convinced him to come to the mission last night and, and said that, you know, they talked about what I, what I discussed yesterday all the way home. So uh, it's really just a... a um, you know, sometimes we need stuff like that. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily need to get affirmation a lot of because the only person I really have to, uh, uh, you know, be accountable for is God. At the end, you know, were you faithful to the to the uh, mission I gave you? Did you use the talents I gave you to honor me? But it is nice to see how uh, the instrument that I am. Because remember, God, we're just instruments. God's a musician, and I work hard at trying to be a finely tuned instrument in God's hands, as we all do. And whatever our sphere of influence is, no matter whether you're you know, one of the flight attendants that did excellent service that was on the, I was, uh, that was on the plane that I was on just now, or maybe you're um, a physician or a teacher or uh, whatever, whatever it is, a housewife, mom, whatever God's called you to do, we are all, by our baptismal call to holiness, are all called to be instruments and finely tuned instruments in God's hands. That means prayer, fasting. Um, immersing ourselves, uh, making the Eucharist the center of our lives, going to uh, Eucharistic adoration, you know, um, uh, all those kinds of things that we need to do every day. 
Well, if you can't get the adoration every day, at least, I mean, you actually can watch adoration on EWTN. I did that during the pandemic. You know, they had live, like, uh, adoration of the, of the Blessed Sacrament. I just popped it up on my screen, and I spent an hour with the Lord. You know, just about, actually, just about every day that I could uh, during the pandemic. So grateful to EW10 for, for doing that. And I, I believe they still do it, as a matter of fact. Um, so, yeah, so it's, um, it, it was just um, a, a, a wonderful affirmation. Like I said, I thought they weren't engaged, but I was wrong. Um, and she even told me she, uh, a number of her friends talked about it yesterday. So it was just, uh, you know, it's just, it's just nice. And, what, and what, so what did I talk about? Um, so I talked about the pursuit of happiness, how you really cannot find happiness in life unless you first find joy. Um, and, and joy comes from fostering a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And that divine intimacy uh, that comes from a, a, a prayerful interior life gives you the joy that leads to a life of happiness. Although, because you have the joy of the Lord doesn't mean you're always going to be happy. Okay, so that I wanted to make that that point to them, you know, and I gave some ex- real life examples. I talked about things from my own life. I talked about uh, people in their life that will help them find the joy, their parents, uh, priests, deacons, teachers, things like that. And, you know, I just I basically I mean, I had notes and stuff, but I, I, I spoke from the heart and really tried to get them to see how much God loves them. That was really my, my key, how much God truly loves them as if they were the only person that has ever been created, that Christ would have died on that cross just for them, you know, and really get that across to them, the power of God's love working in their life. And then last night's talk to the, um, to the, the parish uh, was the Eucharist and evangelization. So I talked about the, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist and some things that happen at Mass uh, really analyzing Christ's words. This is my body, this is my blood, and then do this uh, in, in uh, remembrance of me and also drink my blood. And then I moved into how the Eucharist and Word and Sacrament impels us to go forward to be Eucharist to the world. And so I talked about how we effectively evangelize. Um, how do we speak the truth of our faith and love? Uh, especially, if, and I focus on family members who are away from the church, especially uh, children. So that that was the last night of the mission, and I uh, just again want to thank uh, Father uh, Barry and Father Jurgens, uh, the two priests there at Saint Susanna, who were um, uh, wonderful, wonderful hosts. I had a, a really blessed time in the rectory, um, and uh, just to, just to, you know the talks uh, after you know uh, our time together, just eating and talking after the talk was uh, really blessed, you know, and I really love to have that camaraderie with priests. And, and my hope is, is that through my interactions with the, all the priests that I meet and, and, and uh, in these parishes, that they have a kind of an elevated um, idea of the diaconate, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that they think that, hey, you know, um, deacons just don't help me when I'm gone or, you know, that, that, you know, kind of take it to the next level in their mind and in their hearts about the diaconate. So that was, uh, that was my prayer. So, yeah, we're, we're talking about uh, Ephesians chapter 5 today, and I, I was hoping I have time. I may, I may not have time today since we're going to do uh, uh, our psalm study, uh, but I wanted to talk about a question that came up in a show last week about why, um, uh, there was a, about the translation of a Zeta Konegdo, um, which means literally helpmate. 
But when you look at the context of how that's used in scripture, um, uh, the way I interpret it and others, not just me, the other, some other scholars also said that, that there was a battle partner. But why, did, but why did Adam need a battle partner when he was in Eden? You know, there was no sin, there was no death. But remember, remember, Satan was already there, right? And he came and tempted them in the garden. So what was he doing there? So I believe that God was preparing. I was going to show all the scripture because I did a little deep dive on this over the weekend, and I and I was going to put something together, but I don't think I have time to go through it now. Maybe I'll save it for a, a future show because I think it'd be fun to go through that. Um, so we have our crack show team. They're, they are on it. You know, we have our call screener, Matt Gabinski, our social media guru, Charles Berry, and Ace McKay in the place. How you doing, Ace? I'm doing good, man. I'm glad you landed safely because – I, I, I'm always frazzled after flights, so I applaud you for the fact that you just whip right in like it's an old hat. Here we go. Showtime. Yeah. <laughs> Show must go on, as they say. Yeah, yeah. You just you got to get used to the routine uh, off the plane, on the plane, off the plane, on the plane. But um, but yeah, so I mean, I uh, and when you fly as much as I do, you know, you, you get special handling with your bags and things like that. So my bags came out very quickly. Yeah. And I was able to come home and get set up and and uh, and be here today. So I'm I'm really really excited about that. That's so, awesome. Uh, yeah, you know I, I was you know I've been paying more attention to the music they're playing they're playing on the plane while people are boarding and stuff like that. And uh, I think they have a Spotify channel that they play. Uh, so some of the tunes are not bad actually. See, and I'm yeah. I'm such a stickler for my own playlist. I just take with me you know what it however i'm going to listen to music so if it's off my phone or if i have my ipad with me so that way i have set playlist for whatever mood i'm in i i can't trust whatever's playing in the plane or you know sometimes if it's a long enough flight i might do a movie or whatever but i don't know i'm i'm kind of particular you know don't judge people on anything other than their music choices yeah <laughs> so true <laughs> so true uh but Did it's you- nice it's nice to have some music playing while uh while people are born, usually I'm on my phone, just checking some email and doing some things, just getting myself, you know, ready. And anybody uh, worth sharing? Uh, oh, that's that I was listening to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, I mean, so I have a Spotify playlist like from the '70s and early '80s. You know, so I, I was listening. to Queen actually came up uh, in the playlist, so I was listening to "Now I'm Here." All right. You know, off off sheer heart attack, which yeah. is one of my favorite songs. Nice. All right. Well. When we come back, we're going to break open one of the Psalms on Beacon of Truth. I'm your host, Deacon Howard Burke-Sivers. Give us a call to be part of the program, 833-288-3986. Play that on the plane? <laughs> no, they did not. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> well, you are listening to Beacon of Truth. I'm your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. And again, we have the best buffer music in the business, provided by our uh, crack producer, Ace McKay. Uh, the Ace is in the place. And today, we're going to, uh, it's Wednesday, so it's Word of God Wednesday. Grab your Bibles. We are going to break open. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verses 21 to 33 today and uh, uh, I'm very excited because again this is one of the verses that lectors uh, always grimace when they have to read at mass right <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna straighten all this out today uh, so you want to be part of the program love to hear from you give us a call 
3986 or email beacon at EWTN.com. Of course, we want to let you know the Mass Guide booklet is available for you. A nice little e-booklet that you can take with you. So that way, as uh, you enjoy the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and Our Lady of the Angels Chapel live every morning, 8 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Just go and get your free booklet today, EWTN.com slash Catholicism, and simply click on Readings. All right, well, when you hear that music, it can mean only one thing on Beacon of Truth. It is time to break open the Psalms. And today, we're going to take a look at our first invitatory Psalm, Psalm 95. So Psalm 95 is in book four of the Psalms, and uh, it's, it's unattributed, uh, so there's no... Um, prescript in this in this particular psalm and it's called an invitatory psalm because this is one of the psalms used and in, in fact the primary psalm that's used um, either during uh, matins or uh, office of readings or lauds or morning prayer is how you start the entire liturgy of the hours off so you have uh, one of four different invitatory psalms you have this one 95 or psalm 100 or psalm 24 or Psalm 67. So those are the invitatory psalms. I personally use this psalm every morning because the other psalms do show up. Uh, so Because you have to think, okay, well, I used 100 as an invitatory. It means I have to switch it for 95. So I just like, ah, just use 95 all the time. If the other psalms come up, that's awesome. So Psalm 95. Again, I'm using the Revised Grail Psalm translation. This is the text that's been approved for use by the U.S conference of catholic bishops to to be used in the holy sacrifice of the mass so it starts come let us ring out our joy to the lord hail the rock who saves us let us come into his presence giving thanks let us hail him with a song of praise i love when the psalms just come out praising the lord you know, let us sit, ring out our joy to the Lord, the rock who saves us, the God of our salvation. You know, let's come into his presence giving thanks, or a Eucharistine, uh, you know, or, or the, the Todah in, in Hebrew, the Todah summer, or thanks. You know, so giving thanks. So how do we do that? When we go to the Holy Sacrifice of, of, uh, Holy sacrifice of the Mass, we give thanks. Um, when we go to adoration, we come before him in his presence, we give thanks. And let us hail him with a song of praise. Verse 3, a mighty God is the Lord, a great king above all gods. And now you see why this is used as the invitatory psalm. Because this is how you start This is how you start off praying for the day. At least how I do it, uh, by praying the liturgy of the hours. Songs of praise and honor and glory and blessing to the Lord. Thank you, Lord for waking me up again this morning. Thank you, Lord, for yet another opportunity to glorify you with the gift of, the, of life that you have given to me. Thank you for allowing me to be your instrument so I can, so, so all of us in, our, in response to our baptismal call to holiness, strengthened and nurtured by the Eucharist um, and, and, and also by this, the, the grace of the sacrament of confirmation to be go out there and share our witness of your love through us. I love that. In verse 4, in his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his. So it's a reminder. You know, uh, we, we think we own stuff. <laughs> we don't, God owns everything. 
Okay, uh, we we are supposed to be stewards of the gifts that God has given us, including uh, the, the the earth. You know, I'm not a, an, an overly environmentalist, but you know, living in Oregon now for ooh, gosh, coming up on like 29 years. Um, you know, I've come to understand the importance of recycling and and those kinds of things, and um, and to and to be good stewards of all the resources that God has given us. To Him belong the sea, for He made it, and the dry land that He shaped by His hands. I love that, especially when you you see beautiful um, structures like the Grand Canyon or uh, different mountain ranges. Uh, you know, one of the things I really enjoy is watching those. Um, David Attenborough nature shows, you know, for some reason, I really like those. Uh, so the, the, the limited time where I do watch television, I like to watch that kind of stuff. I like to see nature and learn about what's going on. Um, now, I necessarily don't like to be in nature. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, uh, a camper, which I was as a Boy Scout, but that was more fun because I was with my friends. But um, but uh, uh, but I love watching those shows and watching nature, and because to me it's just a, a beautiful way to see the glory of God working His creation. Well, and I, I can't help but be reminded when my dad gave my brother. Well, I won't say gave when we collectively got cars when we turned sixteen. My dad said, "There's more to getting. There's more to owning a car than just getting in it and going." And I remember he always referenced back to that with any other thing that we were in charge of. So when we bought a house, when we, you know, got a diploma, when we whatever it was, it was like more responsibility because we did well with little. So then there was more responsibility that came with that. And I love the attention that that draws from the psalm when you think about all belongs to God, all comes from him. So anything he wants to give us and take away is his. Exactly right. And I love too when you look up in the sky. Uh, you know, if you're out in the um, like the desert or someplace where there's not a lot of uh, city lights, yeah, and you see like the stars, it's just massive. You know, it's just like what? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. And so, what does this? So the, the, these first two strophes here, verses one through five, sings the praise and glories of God, the wonders of His creation. And now, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to the awesomeness uh, of God? Verse 6. Oh, come, let us bow and bend low. Let us kneel before the God who made us. For he is our God. And we the people who belong to his pasture, the flock that is led by his hand. See, so, so before the awesomeness of God, all we can do is worship. All we can do is worship, bow and bend low in humility before God. Um, you know, for, so that's why, for example, in the United States, uh, in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, we kneel during the Eucharistic prayer. Because for us in, in, in uh, the, the West, kneeling, or at least the United States, kneeling is a sign of adoration. And I remember uh, the one World Youth Day that I went to was the very last one with St. John Paul II in Toronto. And, uh, and and so during we went, of course, we went to the masses and we went to mass and during the Eucharistic prayer, you know, we knelt and the, the Europeans were still standing. They're looking around. It's like, what's those Americans doing on their knees? What are they doing? <laughs> and then I realized, you know, that uh, uh, that that's not necessarily the same for everyone. I, I remember being in Singapore. Um, they they knelt and stood when the deacon did. 
So during the epiclesis, when the priest puts his hands over the gifts, where he invokes the Holy Spirit to, to be present at the altar. So when he, when he says the words of Jesus in the institution narrative that bread and wine become God. So uh, the, the rubrics of the Mass say that when the epiclesis happened, the deacon kneels from the epiclesis until after the elevation of the cup. So once the priest does the elevation of the chalice, then genuflex, when he stands up, the deacon stands up. Well, in Singapore, I noticed that the, the people followed the actions of the deacon. So when the deacon knelt, the epiclesis, everybody else knelt. And then when we stu he stood up, then everybody else stood up and stood for the rest of the, of the prayer. But again, for us, this sign of honor and reverence before our almighty God. And again, we are the people who belong to his pasture, the flock that is led by his hand. He, he, Jesus, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And we are the sheep that follow the lead of the shepherd, the shepherd who loves us, who cares for us, who, who nurtures us. Um, I love that. I love the imagery there. Again, a, a, almost a reminder of, of David writing in Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. And David obviously has that beautiful imagery in his mind. Why? Because he was a shepherd, right? So that's a, that's a very close, beautiful connection um, uh, with with uh, uh, with the shepherding and the Psalms. So it continues. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. Harden not your hearts as at Meribah. On that day at Massa in the desert, when your forebears put me to the test, when they tried me, though they saw my work. Now this is a reminder that no matter what is going on in our life, we must learn to trust God. If you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now Meribah and Massa, uh, trial and testing, um, the places of uh, Meribah, Master, trial and testing in Hebrew. Now, th this was, um, of course, when they came out, they crossed the Red Sea, they, you know, singing the praises of God. Look what he did to our enemies. They walked five steps in the desert. We're hungry. <laughs> okay. And so he gave them the, the manna from heaven and the quail. They take another five steps into the desert. Obviously, more than five steps. I'm exaggerating, but you know, they take another few steps. We we got nothing to drink. Oh, would we have you know stayed in Egypt? We we would have had plenty to drink there. You just bring us out in the desert so we you know we could uh, starve and, and thirst to death along with our flocks. And and Moses is frustrated. He's like, oh, look at this hard this hard headed people, Lord. What are you doing to me here? And he and he, he told them to strike the rock with the staff, and the water will flow. You know. So again, we 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 should not be testing God. Yes, we don't serve a fast food God. God works in his time. Mm -hmm. And God's timing is always perfect. It's not our time. Well, and it's such a mirror. I mean, nothing's changed. We're, we're exactly the same. I, I, I had a pastor one time. He said, think about your favorite sports team when they win a championship. You go out, you buy all the merch, you celebrate, you're posting on social, you're rubbing it in the face of, you know, your enemies who are, you know, the, the losing team, whatever. And then you like you're ready for the next championship. Why don't we apply the same thing to the things that God provides for us? Look at what he's done and then relish in that. Buy all the merchandise and all the swag we need to celebrate those moments so we're not going, well, why don't I have more? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the psalm ends, well, we've got a little bit of a warning here. For 40 years I wearied of that generation, and I said, their hearts are astray. This people does not know my ways. Uh, then I uh, took an oath in my anger, never shall they enter my rest. 
Ooh, wow. So a little, little bit of a warning here. So for 40 years, they wandered through the desert. God got worried of them and, and said, so, you know, um, because what does he want? He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts in order to enter in that beautiful rest with him uh, in heaven. So when we come back, grab your Bibles. It's Word of God Wednesday on Beacon of Truth. I'm your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Uh, give us a call, 833-288-3986, as we break open Ephesians chapter 5. action happened in there i'm feeling it yeah very nice well you are listening to beacon of truth i'm your host deacon harold Burke Sivers, and it is word of god wednesday grab your bibles because we are breaking open god's word Mm. in ephesians chapter 5 verses 21 to 33 if you have uh comments you want to make give us a call love to hear from you 833-288- 3986 or email beacon at EWTN.com. Well, if you're looking to uh, chime in on the conversation, Jerry and Debbie and Take Two tomorrow at noon Eastern on EWTN Radio having their monthly unscripted show where you can literally bring any topic to the table. And this might actually be one. This comes from a listener uh, that uh, was that emailed us yesterday that said, OK, I'm in a rock band, but as a Catholic, should I be choosing songs that don't have questionable lyrics, but only glorify God? So as fellow musicians, I'd love your take on this. Well, um, I've never played in a band that, uh, well, except music at Mass. So in the dorm at Notre Dame, I was one of the um, musicians at Mass. And so we did play, obviously, hymns appropriate to to Mass. Um, But the other bands, I played in the jazz band, in the B band, and also um, in an R&B band (laughs) on campus. Nice. Uh, Obviously, songs from the 70s and and 80s. um, uh, So... Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is this. I'm, um, if you're using your talents to honor and glorify God, that's that's the key. Yeah. Um, obviously, um, you shouldn't be in a band where you're ta- you know, worshiping the devil or some kind of craziness like that. Um, obviously, that is completely inappropriate. But if you're using your talents and skills to honor God, um, uh, and it's not you know, uh, anti-Catholic or, or, or uh, overly offensive, anything like that, then I don't, I don't think there's an issue there. Yeah. Well, and I've been in situations where I've played in bands where it was a, you know, ministering opportunity. You know, they get to know you. You're talking, hey, you guys sound great, you know, and you're kind of chilling out, you know, between the sets. And you never know what God will do in those conversations. Now, I'm not saying that's a reason to be in a bar band. I'm just saying if you find yourself in that situation, because, again, I, I'm a fan of that gut check, right? If God says, yeah, this this band is not really good reflection of who you are in me. So let's go find a better outlet. So if if Scott is stirring, my thought is, you know, there's plenty of worship teams that could use your talents. So, you know, let's let's rock it up on a on a Sunday or have a youth service or something, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and uh, we had uh, also what was that the uh, someone had written written in there uh, from. Well, we've had some comments come in on social media today. Um, Patterson uh, asking, just talking about how he loves the show, but then um, uh, 
this actually coming from C. Jones. Uh, so sorry, I don't know first name, but he says, uh, James says that we are not to be of the world. I thought we love the world, but not and we are not in it. So you can elaborate. Well, on yeah. That. Yeah. So we're, we're obviously in the world. Yeah. Right. Um, but not of the world. That means we're not worldly. Um, we are not defined by the things of the world. Our identity are not in the possessions of the world. Our identity is not in how much money I have, how much prestige I have, uh, or, or the, focusing on the things, the material things of this world. So, yes, we are in the world to be witnesses of God's love and God's beauty and God's truth uh, to the world. But we're not to be worldly minded. You know, I, I would uh, uh, direct him to Romans uh, chapter 8. Um, Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 5 through Six from St. Paul uh, for more, a little, a little bit of elaboration on that. All right, but for now, we're going to break open God's Word, Ephesians 5. Open your Bibles to verse 21. Now, when, <laughs> when I was first ordained, uh, you know, you got to start preaching. You know, uh, of course, the deacon preaches occasionally, uh, according to the, the rules of the Mass. Um, and, and And so I noticed that there's some readings that have a long form and a short form. And whenever this reading would come around, uh, the lector would invariably choose the short form because they don't want to read this. Verse 20, verse 22. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of his wife. Uh, and then skipping down to verse 24. So let wives also be subject to, in everything to their husbands. Ooh, <laughs> ouch, right? If you, that that grates hard on 21st century ears, doesn't it? Right? But see, but it's verses like this where I love being Catholic. Because if the Second Vatican Council document on the Word of God, Dei Verbum, taught us anything, it says we Catholics look at the entire content and unity of Scripture. We, we look at what the, uh, not just one verse, uh, we look at it in context. What comes before? What comes after? What is the, the, the chapter about? What is the book about? What does the Old Testament have to say? We, we look at everything, uh, not just something in isolation. So uh, this particular pericope or this particular section of scripture, Paul starts in verse 21. He says, be subject to, now again, talking to husbands and wives, be subject to, to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's how he starts the whole thing off. Mutual subjection, one to the other, right? Which is reminiscent of covenant relationship, the, and, which is what a marriage is. It is a covenant, right? When it's a sacramental marriage of, or valid marriage, it's a covenant established between one man and one woman. And uh, in that covenant relationship, it's it's a, a, a complete free gift of self. Uh, so in a covenant relationship, you know, you're, you're, you're giving yourself totally, freely, completely um, in, in a love that never looks at what's best for itself, for yourself, what's always best for the other. Um, free, faithful, total, and fruitful. It's a love that gives everything. It's a love that holds nothing back. Why? Because Jesus held nothing back of his love for us from the cross. He gave everything. 
right? And that's what marriage is supposed to be about, that the complete gift of self one to the other in anticipation of the wedding feast of the Lamb in heaven, Revelation 19.9. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. So earthly marriage anticipates the he heavenly marriage, all right? So, so I think that's important to remember. I will say this because I know I've uh, unfortunately been this at times. We as husbands also have to be living of godly character for our wives to want to follow us. Because I feel like that's a lot of, well, why should I follow him? He's doing his own thing and thinking of himself. So, you know, while, yes, this is applicable, we men also need to be stepping up our game. Oh, there's no question about it. And uh, when we look at the, the verses coming up, uh, we're going to see that that's uh, actually very true. <laughs> so so now, okay, now we have the context, covenant relationship. And, and I want you to notice how this ends in verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. So he quotes from Genesis chapter 2. So, so the, the, the verse that establishes the covenant between a man and a woman. So he starts off establishing the covenant. He ends, quoting from Genesis 2, uh, uh, talking about the covenant, which, uh, again, Jesus also uses that same verse in Matthew 19 when he talks about marriage. Right? So obviously that, that's, that's a very important verse here. So that, in a sense, those serve as the bookends, the bookends of what Paul is uh, sharing with us here about marriage. Now we dive into the verse here. All right. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of his wife as Christ is head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Okay. Wives, be subject to your husbands. What does that mean? The word subject to, or your translation might say submissive to, is hupotasso in Greek. And uh, it's often used as a military word to, uh, that, that means troops arranged in divisions that place themselves under the mission and director, uh, uh, direction of a leader, typically a general. So what is St. Paul saying here? Because remember, Paul uses the same so, kind of this, this, well, not this particular language, but the, the language of soldiers in Ephesians chapter 6, the next chapter, putting on the armor of God, where he describes a Roman soldier's uniform, and applies a spiritual attribute to each part of the uniform. Here, he's using military language to show that wives are supposed to place themselves under their husband's mission. What is his mission? The next verse, verse 25. Hus uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So his job is to die. When you stood at the altar, men, uh, you didn't just say, I do. What you meant was, I die. I die to everything that separates me from God's love. My pride, my anger, whatever it is, my lust, I, I die to that. So I can be the, 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 the husband and the father that my wife and children need me to be. So wives place themselves under their husband's mission because his job is to serve. Now, let me be clear. The husband is the head of the family. There's no question or doubt about that. He's not the boss. See, a boss, when you think of your boss at work, 
he tells you what to do and you have, you know, you have a job description. You have to fill out this job, to, you know, fulfill the job description. And if you don't do it, you get written up. And you have to get evaluated every year. Marriage doesn't work like that. You don't do it. Okay, okay honey, sit down. I'm going to evaluate you for this year to see if you did everything that. Well, are you nuts? Right. You ain't going to be married very long, bro. <laughs> you do That's something right. like that. That's not how it works. See, the man is the head because he is the chief servant. And that model comes from Jesus Christ. I have not come to be served, but to serve. The greatest among you is the least, is the servant of all. Headship, leadership, authority is rooted in service. Well, and I can't help but think of the quote from uh, my big fat Greek wedding where the man is the head, but the wife is the neck. And she turns the head. and it's like in 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 tongue in cheek. Yes. No. But again, I have a friend of mine. He's a comedian and he used to always say happy wife, happy life. And yes. he would tell stories of all the things. He's like, yeah, when I did this and I was listening to God, you know, and he would do it from a funny perspective. But again, that's what we're supposed to do is to, you know, what can I do to keep her happy? Because, again, if you're collectively doing things, I know my wife and I are that way. It's like I've told her I'm not here to make you happy and vice versa. But collectively, it's us against the world. Otherwise, I don't want to fight with you like that. I have no energy for that. <laughs> exactly. And I'll give you some other verses that you can look up uh, on your own as part of your private Bible study with regard to Ephesians 5. Colossians 3, 18 to 19. Colossians 3, 18 to 19. First Peter 3. Verses 1 through 3, and then verse 7. Again, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 3, and then verse 7. And finally, Proverbs 5, 18 to 19. Okay, Proverbs 5, 18 to 19. Now, lest you think that I am misinterpreting uh, what it says here. Because I actually got a, uh, an, was it an email? I think it was an email or a letter from a guy. Uh, who said, Deacon Harold, you're ruining my marriage. He said, when I got married, I showed my wife this verse from Ephesians. And I said, see what the Bible says? You are supposed to be submissive to me. So whenever I told her, get me a beer, she'd get me a beer. If I said, jump in the bed, she'd jump in the bed. But now she's watching you on that channel with the nun. And now she's telling me, your job is to serve and protect and defend. And what are you doing? And <laughs> so after I explained to him what I just explained to you, I said, open your Bible, my friend, to Genesis 3, 16. Genesis 3, 16. Now, Genesis 3, 15, and I'm sure we're going to have a, a Word of God Wednesday about Genesis 3, 15, often called the Proto-Evangelium of the First Gospel. Uh, you know, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. I'm talking about the line after that, verse 16. This is the temporal punishment for the woman. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. See, the word there is malshal for rule over in Hebrew. It means to dominate. Uh, like a tyrant, right? So the fact that a man treats his wife as a slave or dominates her or abuses her physically, emotionally, sexually, intellectually, however, that is a sad and tragic effect of original sin. That is not God's plan. 
Paul is returning us to God's plan in, in Ephesians chapter 5. So again, your job, man, men of God, is to die, to live, to die to yourself. Because why? You have to see yourself on that cross. You have to see yourself on that cross as the head of the family. Just as Christ broke himself open and poured himself out in love for us, then we have to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out in love for our wives and children. Here's how it works. Strong men, strong families. Strong families, strong church. Strong church, we take back this crooked, depraved, confused culture. Well, and I know, you know, men, we are known for doing it wrong. But let's say there's someone who has tried to make that turn or maybe coming into a relationship with God through Lent. I mean, what would you say to a man who's got to undo some damage and get things better in his marriage? Well, I would also encourage his wife to allow him to serve her. Because hmm. sometimes we have wives that are like, oh, I don't need you. I'm an independent, strong woman. Don't open the door for me. Don't do this for me. He's not, he's not doing it because you're helpless right. or you're too weak to do it yourself. He's doing it because he's serving you. He recognizes that. And so sometimes women have to allow men to do that, especially men who are making a change. Yeah. Because, look, look, let's be real. Sometimes you're not the same person that on the day you got married. Things change. Maybe you weren't as faithful as you were. Um, and sometimes we see in marriages uh, where, where, where one person is one, at one place in their faith life uh, and the other person in another place, or maybe they're both at the same place. But then over time, one person's faith grows and another does, either doesn't grow, it fast, grow as fast or stays where it was, now you've got a gap. Yeah. Now you've got a chasm. And that's a catalyst for issues within marriage. So uh, if a man is making the change, and what, we, what can you do to make the change? Well, first of all, you have to be with other men, a men's group in your parish, um, or a mentoring couple. You know, uh, uh, a lot of parishes, when uh, people get married, they have mentoring couples that help that couple through or a marriage encounter, or something to really understand what your job is. Because, look, sometimes we bring baggage into the marriage. Sometimes you bring, this is the way I was raised. This is what my father did. Mm -hmm. Well, no. You, 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 have, you have to be the one to break the cycle. That's what I did in my family. You know, my father was very unfaithful to my mom. You know, and that was kind of the history of men in our family for, for as long as I can remember. You know, I, I never even met my grandfather's. Not either of them, wow. never. Uh, so, but but I am the one that broke that cycle. Why? Because I decided to follow Jesus, like the old spiritual says. I decided to make Jesus my choice. Mm -hmm. I put Jesus first in my life. I came to understand the scriptures, what God is saying to us about the beauty of what marriage is. You know, so I think those are the things that need to happen to really improve uh, marriages. And the text continues. As, uh, as the church is subject to Christ, let wives be subject to everything to their husbands. And then husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. So the reason why you die to yourself to live for your wife and kids, was particularly your wife, that you may sanctify her. To sanctify something means to make it holy. Means to make it holy. How are you sanctifying your marriage how are you making your marriage holy how are you sanctifying your wife how are you make are you praying together 
Mm. All right? Are you praying with her and for her? Are you fasting for her? Maybe, maybe your wife's not Catholic. You know, you, you married a, 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 a wonderful, amazing Protestant woman. That's beautiful. Uh, maybe you're praying for her to, to, to come to the fullness of faith in the Catholic faith. What are you doing to sanctify her? You know, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, and again, this is Christ, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So Christ is preparing his bride to present to the Father when he comes back at the end of time. Spotless, without wrinkle or blemish. So obviously, we can't do exactly that because we're not perfect. We make mistakes. We sin. You know, we, we, we need the sacrament of reconciliation. That's another thing, too, by the way. Uh, when we do sin, when we do uh, uh, argue, and we do things that disrespects our spouse, the sacrament of reconciliation is there to help uh, to bring us back to ourselves, uh, to, uh, so to speak. You know, to bring us back to the idea of what that marriage is and what it's supposed to be. Well, and I love that you brought up the idea of praying together, because if you really want to know the heart of your spouse, hear their words to God, because then you know how they're not only praying for your family and themselves, but even you and vice versa. They can learn how to pray for you and for your marriage through your own words. You feel like there's a disconnect in communication. And I've learned the hard way, but I've made it a part of my ritual when my wife needs something rather than coming with solutions immediately. Cause right. That's what the man's supposed to do. No, I go, what do you need from me? And yeah, she, and she will tell me, she'll either go, I, I need a back rub and a glass of wine, or, you know, I, can we go out to dinner and just escape for a little bit? Or I just need you to hold me. Like, I mean, it can vary. Or yeah. if she does need my help, she'll ask me, Hey, I really don't know what to do in this situation. My wife is, I need chocolate. Hey, and I am always there with dark or milk. You know what I'm saying? There you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, so, so one of the things I want to recommend to the men out there, to the husbands out there, um, do what Jesus did. You know, Jesus gave a beautiful sign of what leadership in the church was supposed to be like in John's gospel, where he washed the feet of his apostles, you know, because he was showing them. Well, for, for, well, two things, Exodus 30 and Exodus 40, uh, before the priest made the offering, we went, from, we went from the tent of meeting to the altar of sacrifice. There was a laver in between, and he washed his hands and his feet. So by doing that, washing his feet, Jesus was instant, part, part of the way of instituting the priesthood, but also giving them the model of how they're supposed to serve the church because it was the servant in the house, the, in fact, the lowest-ranking servant who washed your feet when you entered someone's house. So... I would, you know, men, hey, look, get a little bucket of water, throw a towel over your shoulder. When your wife comes home, maybe when you come home, you know, without saying anything to her, just get the bucket of nice warm water, get a towel, and just kneel down and wash your feet. Don't say anything. Just do it as a beautiful reminder of what your role is in that family, right? So let's let's continue the text here. Um uh, well, spot a wrinkle. Even husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Right? And now, it, it, it may, that translation may make it sound selfish, but oh, no, 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 no. Let's go back to Genesis. 
What does he say when he looks at her? This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You are the greatest part of who I am. It's almost like he looks at her and says, myself. And maybe she looks back at him and says, my source. Remember, because she came from the side, from the rib, from the side. My source. That's, I think, what St. Paul is, is talking about here. He loves his wife as his wife because she comes from him. You know, and that, and that beautiful one flesh union. That's awesome. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And then verse 31, for this reason, a master of his father and mother be joined to his wife and the two shall become one. Beautiful. This beautiful one flesh union. Now, obviously, they're not just talk about the conjugal act here. Of course, that's part of it. Um, as a physical expression of intimacy, but that's not the be-all, end-all. You know, um, uh, it's about just like Christ unites himself to us in the Eucharist, we, we become one with him uh, in, a, in a sense that conjugal act is a beautiful Eucharistic act. Obviously, it, uh, back in Genesis, there's no Eucharist, there's no Jesus, there's no sacraments. But the idea of the two becoming one flesh, it's, that means that that beautiful act of communion is holy and sacred. It's holy and it's sacred because it's not only an ex a physical expression of love and intimacy, it's also a participation in the life-giving power of God himself. And so just to finish this off, this is a great mystery, mysterion in Greek, translated in Latin as what? Sacramentum. This is a great sacrament. What? Marriage, right? Matrimony. I mean it in reverence to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband, right? Beautiful uh, exegesis there. So tomorrow... We're going to talk about the communion of saints. I think that's a wonderful topic to be talking about during Lent. We're going to talk all about the communion of saints. And remember, you can stream today's show. Visit Podcast Central at EW10.com slash radio. And may Almighty God bless you and keep you, especially all you married couples out there. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless.